I apologize for Roger getting the wrong information about the scripture reading this morning, but I wish you will, if you have your Bibles with you, I hope that you'll turn to Ezekiel chapter 18, and go ahead and mark your Bible that area. You can put your ribbon down there as, if you would like to keep your place. Although we'll be mentioning other scriptures today, we'll be uh, using this as the text of our lesson and use the verses as the outline of our lesson uh, this morning. So we hope that you will uh, find Ezekiel chapter 18. And if you're not familiar with Ezekiel is, there's nothing wrong with looking in the table of contents. That's why it's there. Uh, we have very few lessons from the book of Ezekiel. But here we have a very powerful lesson. I think all of us here today appreciate the fact that we're no longer under the Old Testament law. Colossians chapter 2 and verse 14 reminds us that when Jesus died on the cross, he blotted out the handwriting of ordinances which was against us and contrary to us and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. We're no longer under the Old Testament law. We're no longer under the Old Testament. Uh, we live in the New Testament age. We are not under the law of Moses. We're under the law of Christ. But yet as you go through the Old Testament, there are some many, many powerful lessons that can be read and used to help explain what takes place in the New Testament age. This is especially the case when you start thinking about the Old Testament prophets and what they preached. Uh, there's, when I go back and I read some of the prophets and I read some of the sermons they preached, uh, I can feel their passion. They oftentimes are more passionate in some, than some of the lessons we have in the New Testament. Uh, they, those Old Testament prophets knew how to preach, and oftentimes when I'm reading an Old Testament passage, such as the one we have this morning, uh, I could try to envision uh, Ezekiel and him standing before the people and in a very passionate way explaining uh, the things that are being taught in this text. Now, to give you the context of what's going on in this particular uh, section of Scripture... Uh, Israel was accusing God of being unfair. In fact, if you look at verse 25 of our text, it says, Yet ye say, The way of the Lord is not equal. Hear now, O house of Israel, is not my way equal? Are not your ways unequal? Once again in verse 29, Yet saith the house of Israel, The way of the Lord is not equal. O house of Israel, are not my ways equal? Are not your ways unequal? Israel was accusing God of being unfair. Israel was accusing God of not being equal in His justice and His mercy. He was, they were saying that He was showing partiality to some people as far as their sins were concerned. And He was showing partiality to some people as far as His forgiveness was concerned. And so the point of this entire section is God is answering the complaint through Ezekiel to the people of Israel that God has equality of justice and mercy. Here in this particular text, we have a very powerful lesson that fulfills itself in the New Testament. And Ezekiel, in a very passionate way, explains to some, some things to us that we need to understand and appreciate about God's justice and about God's mercy and how it is equal for everyone. But as we look at the text, we, of course, want to begin at verse 20. 
And as we look at verse 20, we discover that it sets forth the principle of personal responsibility. Notice what the text says. The soul that sinneth, it shall die. The son shall not bear the iniquity of the father, neither shall the father bear the iniquity of the son. The righteousness of the righteous shall be upon him, and the wickedness of the wicked shall be upon him. Ever since Adam was in the Garden of Eden, people have been trying to make excuses for their sins. People have been trying to remove personal responsibility for their sins. This seems to be even more evident today in this society because we believe, uh, or at least there are some that believe, that it's not their fault when they do something wrong. But there's ever a passage that sets forth this particular idea that a person is guilty of their own sins and not guilty of someone else's sins is brought out in this particular passage. But yet still, we do not want to take personal responsibility. We make excuses. Sometimes we blame it on the hypocrites in the church. Sometimes we blame it on the way that we were raised. Sometimes we blame it on the environment from which we were grown up. Sometimes we blame it on the fact that some other people's sins are worse than our sins. We're not as bad as some other people. We make excuse after excuse after excuse. But the text says, you need to own it. Your sins are your sins because you committed those particular sins. The text brings out the point that we are personally responsible for our sins and we're personally going to reap the rewards of those sins. Romans chapter 6 and verse 23 reminds us that the wages of sin are death. And that particular sin, that these, those particular sins will cause us to lose our soul eternally. Revelation chapter 21 and verse 8 reminds us that there is something called the second death that's illustrated in the book of Revelation as a lake that burns with fire and brimstone. So we need to understand as we look at this particular passage that the very first thing that God in Ezekiel wants us to understand is that we are someone who's going to be held personally for our sins. If, only, if you're the only one that goes to hell, it will be because of your sins. If you are one that goes to hell with millions of people, it will still be because of your sins. It's not the responsibility of anyone else. It's not something we can blame on anyone else. But instead, we need to understand that each one of us are personally responsible for our sins. Ezekiel puts it this way, The soul that sinneth, it shall die. And therefore, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 10 reminds us how that each one of us must give account for our sins. This is also echoed in Romans chapter 14 and verse 12, that we are personally going to be held accountable for our own sins, not for anybody else's. But this sets the stage for what Ezekiel wants us to understand next. Verses 21 and 23, thankfully, declares God's mercy toward the sinner. Notice what the text says, but I want to do it in reverse order. Oftentimes in Old Testament passages, because of Hebrew parallelism, uh, they do things in reverse order to get to their point. 
And we have done this. That's what's happened in this verse. So I want to start with verse 23 and work our way up to verse 21. And notice what the text says. Verse 23 says, Have I any pleasure at all that the wicked should die, saith the Lord God, and not that he should return from his ways and live? After making the statement in verse 20, verse 20 that we are all personally accountable for our sins, notice the mercy of God in verse 23. God wants to save sinners. God does not want us to go to hell. God does not want us to be lost. Notice verse 23, that God is saying, Do I have any pleasure in, at all? That the wicked should die? I think sometimes we have a misconception about God. Uh, We think that God is some kind of vengeful God that's sitting up in heaven, and we are dangling by the string, and God's looking for every opportunity to cut that string and make sure that we're lost. But as you look through the Old Testament, and as you look through the New Testament, we find that's not the case. For example, we can open our Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 4, where God says, through, Tim, uh, through Paul talking to Timothy, that he wants all men to be saved. Not just some men, but all men to be saved. The Apostle Peter over in 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 9, he says, The Lord is not slack concerning promises, as some men count slackness, but is not willing that any should perish, and is long-suffering to us, because he wants all of us to come to repentance. God wants us to be saved. In fact, the very reason why Jesus Christ came to this earth, as He proclaimed in Luke 19 and verse 10, He has come to this earth to seek and to save that which is lost. So after bringing out the sin in verse 20, here in verse 23, we find out that God is a merciful God because He wants to save all sinners. But notice what now is mentioned in verse 22. Talking about these people that God wants to save, talking about these people that are mentioned in verse 20. He says, all his transgressions that he hath committed, they shall not be mentioned unto him. In his righteousness that he hath done, he shall live. In other words, sins that have been forgiven will never be brought up again. Now we have a hard time believing this. We have a hard time dealing with this ourselves. Oftentimes when we even think about the fact that God has forgiven us, we sometimes hang on to the sins of our past and don't let them go, don't forget them. We think somehow or another God is hanging on to them. But the point of this particular passage is, notice what it says in verse 22, All his transgressions he hath committed, notice what it says, they shall not be mentioned unto him. Reminds you of the passage in Hebrews chapter 8 and verse 12, where, quoting from the Old Testament, the Hebrew writer says, For I will be merciful unto their unrighteousness and their sins and their iniquities. I will remember no more. They're bringing up the sin and God's mercy. The result is that God will never bring up those sins again. But notice verse 21. But if the wicked will turn from all his sins that he hath committed, 
and keep all my statutes and do that which is lawful and right, he shall surely live and he shall not die. In order for God's mercy to take place, in order for our sins to be forgiven and never mentioned again, conversion has to take place. Under the Old Testament law, it was going back to keeping the Old Testament law once again, which ended up being an awful, horrible cycle because they would try to keep the law and no man could keep the law perfectly and therefore they once again would need this forgiveness of God and have to repent and turn back to the old law again. It kept repeating itself, kept repeating itself. But it was fulfilled in the New Testament age under Jesus Christ that this horrible cycle could come to an end. And that's the reason why we have what takes place in verse 24 and why verse 24 is so very important. Now notice the stages, the case that Ezekiel has made so far. He has said that every person is personally responsible for his sins. He has told us that God is merciful and he does not want any man to, to perish because of their sins. He takes no delight in them whatsoever. We need to understand that once God's mercy has forgiven us of our sins, those sins have been removed and they'll never be brought up again. But we also need to understand that it involves conversion. In the Old Testament age, it involved going back to the law of Moses and trying to keep it. In the New Testament age, it is responding to the gospel of Jesus Christ and understanding that only through our faith in Him will we have the same forgiveness of sins. And now as we move into verse 24... Notice what the next argument is. Verse 24 shows that we can never be good enough to cover present sin. Verse 24 says, But when the righteous turneth away from his righteousness, and committed iniquity, and doeth according to all the abominations that the wicked man doeth, shall he live? All his righteousness that he hath done shall not be mentioned. In his trespass, he that hath trespassed, in his sin that he hath sinned, in them shall he die. Folks, you look at this and you need to understand that there's a lot going on in this passage. First of all, I want you to think about this. Sometimes when we think about ourselves, we don't think about ourselves as someone who sins all the time. We have some good days. Uh, We may have a good week. We may have a good month. But here's the problem. Even if we spend a good day or spend a good week or spend a good month and we seem to have it all exactly right and we've done everything that God wants us to do, which I don't think is possible, but just say for argument's sake that maybe we just had just the best day ever. But the next day we mess up. It may be just a... A little sin, it may have been a big sin, but regardless, we messed up. Notice what the text says. The text points out, it's like you've never done anything good at all. In other words, even with all of our righteousness we may have performed earlier, when we make that bad mistake of messing up and rebelling against God, then it's like nothing ever happened at all. We may even say to ourselves, well, I know I messed up this particular day, but boy, I had some good days before then. Well, look at the text. What does the text say? It's like we have done nothing good at all. 
We may seem to think that God will overlook sin because of the good that we have done. But notice the text once again says, All his righteousness that he hath done shall not be mentioned. Now notice earlier, when talking about the forgiveness of our sins, God, because of his mercy, says, Your sins will never be mentioned again. But here in this text, if we rely on our own righteousness... What does it say? It will not be mentioned at all. Our righteousness holds no account with God as far as ultimate forgiveness is concerned. We don't have some type of righteousness credit card that we can charge sin against. We don't have some kind of premium that we have paid against the catastrophe of sin that we can rely on when we do something bad. We need to understand, as the text says, that we can never, ever be good enough to cover present sin because when we mess up that one time, it's like we have messed up forever. Now, he's making this particular point to point out something that we need to make sure that we understand very carefully. We need to make sure that uh, every day, as good as we can be, that some days we mess up. And that one day we mess up, we need to make sure we understand we need the mercy of God. And thus we have what's mentioned next in the text. Verses 25 and 29 reminds us that God's justice and mercy are equal. Now he has said all this to get to this particular point. Verse 25 says, Yet ye say that the way of the Lord is not equal. Hear now, O house of Israel, is not my way equal? Are not your ways unequal? When a righteous man turneth away from his righteousness and committeth iniquity and dieth in them, for his iniquity that he hath done shall he die. Again, when the wicked man turneth away from his wickedness and hath committed and doeth that which is lawful and right, he shall save his soul alive. Because he considereth and turneth away from all his transgressions he hath committed, he shall surely live, he shall shall not die. Yea, saith the Lord of Israel, the way of the Lord is not equal. O house of Israel, are not my ways equal, are not your ways unequal. Now looking at this text, I want you to see two things. I'm going to give you the bad news, and I'm going to give you the good news, because that's what's being brought out in the text. Here's the bad news. Your sins are just as bad as anybody else's sins. Your Life is just as bad as anybody else's life. As we go through this life, we understand and appreciate oftentimes the fact that we are sinners, but yet when we look at other people around us, we say, well, I'm not as bad as they, they are, and basically, I'm a pretty good person. I know I don't get everything right. I know sometimes I'm not everything I need to be, but basically, I'm a pretty good person. Well, what God wants us to understand is that God's justice is equal. And when He looks at you, He sees just as bad a sinner as some mass murderer, as some child molester, or any other person we can think of in the realm of sin, because God's justice is equal. Sin is sin, and you're a sinner, and you deserve to die. The text says, When a righteous man turneth away from his righteousness, and committeth iniquity, and dieth in them, For his iniquity that he hath done, shall he die. 
In other words, you may think you've got things pretty well figured out and you're living a pretty righteous life. Without the blood of Jesus Christ, you are going to die in your sins. That's the bad news. But here's the good news. God, because He is equal in His mercy, also looks at everybody in the same way in that area. You know, I mentioned sometimes we think that we're that we are kind of good people and so we don't necessarily think our sins are that bad. But sometimes we go to the other extreme and we think, well, I'm not that good of a person and there's no way in the world that God will forgive someone like me. That somehow or another, that because of what I have done, that uh, God just can't forgive something like that. Or, or, Or maybe we think that I've done too many things that are wrong. But here's the whole point of the text. Here's what God was trying to tell the people of Israel. Not only am I equal in my justice, I am equal in my mercy. I treat every single person the same way when it comes to my mercy. In other words, if anybody here today deserves the mercy of God, it is you. If anybody has the possibility of going to heaven today, it is you. If there's anyone who can have their sins forgiven, it is you. Because God does not look at individuals and say, well, he's more deserving, or she's more deserving, or he's less deserving, or he's less deserving. But God is equal in his mercy. Just in the same way he is equal in his justice, that nobody is excused regardless of who you are, regardless of how good you may have been or not been, It's the same way with His mercy. God is equal in His justice and His mercy. If God can forgive anyone, He can forgive you. And so after making this particular point, that God's justice and mercy are equal, notice now how in verse 30, the first part of of it, uh, once again, there is a warning of judgment. If God is equal in His mercy and in His and in, and in, equal in His justice and His mercy, notice what it says in verse thirty, first part of it. Therefore, I will judge you, O house of Israel, every one according to his ways, saith the Lord God. We need to understand that there is a great day coming. A great day in which God is going to judge all the people of the earth who have ever lived. Paul makes this very important point in Acts 17 in verse 30. He says, There was a time that God winked at the ignorance of man, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 27 reminds us that man is appointed once to die, and after that the judgment There's a judgment day coming, and as we think about this judgment day coming, it piggybacks on what he has just said, how that every person is personally responsible for their sins, how that God is merciful, and He's not wanting any man to perish, but to all of us to come to repentance. He takes no delight in us being eternally damned because of our sins. We need to understand that once those sins have been forgiven that they will never be brought up again, but it involves conversion. In the New Testament age, that means responding to the blood of Jesus Christ. And we'll talk more about that in just a moment. 
But we also need to understand as we look at this judgment that is coming that God is equal in His justice and His mercy. You will fall under the same condemnation that everyone else falls under. You will be judged in the same way that everybody else will be judged. There will be no exceptions to the rule. It will be you and you held responsible for your own sins and you're no different from any other sinner. But at the same time on the judgment day, His mercy will be equal. If anyone can have forgiveness of sins, you can have forgiveness of sins. If God will forgive anyone in the world today, He will forgive you of your sins today. There is no partiality with God. Sin is sin and mercy and forgiveness is mercy and forgiveness. But still, that in mind, we need to understand that there is a day of reckoning coming. But notice the invitation now that is made in verse 30 through 32, the rest of the verse. Once again, there's the idea of conversion. He says, repent and turn yourselves from all your transgressions, so iniquity shall not be your ruin. Cast away from you all your transgressions, whereby ye have transgressed, and make you a new heart and a new spirit. For why will ye die, O house of Israel? For I have no pleasure in the death of him that dieth, saith the Lord God. Wherefore, turn yourselves and live ye. Here we have the invitation of Ezekiel chapter 18. Here we have the invitation of this lesson this morning. God says, and this especially applies to us in the New Testament age, He says that we need to cast away from you all your transgressions whereby you have transgressed. In other words, give them to God, cast them off, and make you a new heart and a new spirit. As we think about the New Testament age, we think about this new heart and this new spirit. When Jesus was talking to Nicodemus there in John chapter 3, He told Nicodemus in verse 3, if you're going to to become a part of God's eternal kingdom, you need to be born again. He goes on in verse 5 and says you need to be born of water and the spirit. Being born again represents a new beginning with a new heart, with a new life. Is it any wonder then as we open up the New Testament and we read such passages as 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17 that reminds us that if any man be in Christ, behold, he is a new creature. Behold, all things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. When the Israelite people heard these words and they understood what they needed to do, that they needed to turn away from their sin and repent and strive to start living the law of Moses once again. We know what happens. We go back to verse 18 because we have a horrible cycle that takes place here in the Old Testament. And of course it was to teach us what we needed to know in the New Testament. Under the Old Testament law, they would strive to once again turn back to God and and keep those laws. But we also know by looking at the history of Israel especially the book of Judges. It was a cycle, a cycle. They would serve God for a while. They would turn against Him. God would send to deliver, and they would start all over again. They would serve God for a while, and then they'd be stuck in their sins again, and God would send a deliverer. But thanks be to God, 
we have the ultimate fulfillment of this particular invitation when because of what Jesus Christ has done on the cross, we can finally see God's equality in His justice and His mercy. Sin deserves to be punished. God wants to save mankind, but right in the middle of it is the cross of Jesus Christ, which finally brings His equality to the point that it needs to be. That mankind can have their sins forgiven even though they don't deserve it because of the blood of Jesus Christ and the sacrifice that was made for us. We now can get out of that endless cycle and instead have created within ourselves a new heart and a new spirit and have the blood of Jesus Christ that cleanses us from all sins. First John chapter 1 and verse 9 reminds us that if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins, and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Well, as I think about these particular words that we have on the screen here, I can't help but go basically to the one sentence in this entire section of Scripture that really asks the most important question that we have in this particular section of Scripture. And that is in verse 31... God, through Ezekiel, asks this question. He says, For why will ye die? And he brings up this particular question because of the astonishment of it all. When we think about how that God is equal in His justice and God is equal in His mercy, and there's this wonderful opportunity that even though we have committed sins and we're personally held responsible for those sins, and as the text says, the soul that sinneth, it will die. But yet on this side, we've got a God who takes no pleasure in anyone being lost, who God has done everything that He can to extend His mercy so that we can have our sins forgiven. Ezekiel and God are asking this question and, and I don't know any other way to put it, but this way, why in the world are you so stupid? When you know you'll be lost in your sins, and you know that God is equal in His mercy, and He's willing to forgive you regardless of who you are, why in the world have you not taken advantage of the death of Jesus Christ? Why have you not put your faith in Him and turned your life over to Him and let God forgive you so that you can live eternally with Him. As the text puts it, why will you die? It makes no sense to me. Why would you turn your back on such a wonderful, wonderful gift? The gift of salvation that comes through Jesus Christ. But we need to understand as we close our Bibles today and as we close this lesson. God is equal in His justice and mercy. And we need to understand as we think about that, if there is anyone here today, if there's anyone sitting in this particular audience that will go to hell, it's you. 
I don't care how good you think you are. I don't care how much better you think that you are than other people. I don't care what you, how you look at your sins. If you think your sins are not that bad, that your sins aren't as bad as somebody else's sins, you need to understand and appreciate the point that God was making to Israel. God is equal in His justice, and sin is sin. And you, just like everybody else, deserves to go to hell You're no different from anybody else. If there's anybody here today, anybody here today that deserves to go to hell, it's you. But here's the good news. God's also equal in His mercy. If there's anybody here today that deserves to go to heaven, it is also you. And by deserve, I don't mean that we earned it. I don't mean that we've done something that we can hold God account and say, hey, God, you've got to give this to me. But the point is, God is equal in His mercy. If God wants to save anybody, He wants to save you. If God wants to forgive anyone, He wants to forgive you. If God wants anyone to go to heaven, He wants you to go to heaven. Because God is equal in His mercy. The whole lesson is now left up to you. As the text says, and the question that's asked on the screen, why will ye die? when you have such a wonderful opportunity this morning to respond to the gospel invitation. Won't you come as together we stand and sing?